Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We're really, really glad that you're here. I don't know if you have read in the newspapers or seen on the internet over the last several days, but um, there are several churches who are not worshiping today. And uh, as a few of the elders and I got together this morning to discuss that for a moment, we, we all stood perplexed. Why, why would we not worship on uh, this very, very important day when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? So we're, we're very glad that you're here to worship with us. Down to Earth. That is the name of this short series that we have been uh, walking through together over the last several weeks in the month of December. In our times together, we have seen a very clear portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen His incarnation, the importance of the incarnation. We have seen His costly sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And as we conclude this short series this morning, I want to... Take time together to, to look in a very detailed way at the one who was born of the Virgin Mary. The one who literally came to transform our hearts. And before we open the word of God this morning, I want to ask you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come together this morning on this very special day. The day that we remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for... Uh, being eternally submissive to the Father, not only in eternity past, but you continue to remain submissive to the will of the Father. We thank you for the life that you lived. We thank you for the death uh, that you bore on the cross for our sins, for your resurrection, for your ascension, for the great hope that we have now as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's someone here today who has yet to come to the point where they believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today would be a day that would encourage us all, not only as we are together here in the household of faith, but as we uh, go our separate ways to spend time with family. I pray a special word of encouragement for anyone who is missing uh, a special loved one that you would grant peace that surpasses all understanding, that they would remember the hope that they have uh, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I entered a park all by myself to enjoy some time uh, alone, time of solitude, time just to get away. And it had only been a few moments in the park when a small child came up to me and he looked me in the eye and he said, and this is an exact quote, I'm the toughest guy in town and I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> Close quote. <laughs> my response to him, my, my initial response, I won't tell you what my initial response was. <laughs> But my response to him was to ask this little kid, five or six years of age, is this. Is this how Jesus wants you to act? And you should have seen the look on his face. That is, he was ready for a fight. And I said, is this how Jesus wants you to act? And it should come as no surprise to you that my next thought was this, is that this little boy needs a severe attitude adjustment. And the more that I think about it, I think the, the same holds true for all of us. Each of us need an attitude adjustment somewhere along the line. 
children need an attitude adjustment with their parents. Husbands need an attitude adjustment with their wives. Wives need new attitudes as they relate to their husbands. Students need new attitudes as they uh, have the right response with their teachers. Employees need new attitudes at work in the marketplace of ideas as they respond to their employers. And here's the problem I've discovered with this so-called new attitude. We all admit that everyone else needs a new attitude. You need a new attitude. You need a new attitude. But when it comes to me, perhaps there isn't an attitude adjustment that needs to take place. And we come to this position. We all need our attitudes adjusted. We ought to be a, a people of humility, not a haughty people. We ought to be a thankful people, not an ungrateful bunch. We ought to be, and this is a convicting one, a content people. I recently read this quote, contentment is deeply godlike. Grumbling is deeply devilish. We ought to be a people, moreover, committed to encouraging others, not tearing others down. We ought to be a a grateful people, not a grumpy people. But this morning, we're talking more than a mere attitude change. You can sit down with a counselor. You can read a self-help book to, to help you with your attitude, perhaps. But what God is calling us to is transformation. He's calling us to nothing less than a heart renovation. Now, to renovate means to clean something up. It means to refresh. It means to revive. And so I'm suggesting this morning on Christmas Sunday that our hearts need to be revived. Our hearts need renovating. But we have to ask this, how do we pull it off? How is it going to happen? What does the path to heart renovation look like for us? And so the title of the message is Heart Renovation. In light of that title, I want to have you turn with me in God's Word to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And the reading from the Word of God this morning will be in Philippians chapter 2 from verses 5 to verse 8. I want to have you stand with me as we read God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Paul the Apostle, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, deep within the caverns of this passage lie a massive treasure chest of truth. And to give you a roadmap this morning, I want you to notice two headings. We're going to look, first of all, at the path to heart renovation. Second of all, we will look together at the pattern of Christ. First of all, the path to heart renovation. And I'll have you look with me at what I've entitled the Bible and heart renovation. 
And I want to take a moment to unpack the imperative that may be very easy to read past. Look with me at verse 5. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Now, if you were to read that devotionally, probably would not say at the first glance, ah, there's an imperative. Ah, there's a command. But deep into the heart of the Greek language, we find in verse 5, nothing less than an imperative. Here it is. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want you to see as we examine this very important matter is this, that heart renovation is a command. Heart renovation is a command. It is not a suggestion. It is not something that we should merely think about. It is not something that takes place in a moment's notice. Rather, this is something that occurs throughout our lives. Heart renovation is a command. Have this in mind among yourselves. There's the imperative, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is to say, the call on our lives today is that our attitude should be the very same as the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, we should strive each day for what we're referring to as heart renovation. Notice second, the call to heart renovation is seen throughout the pages of the New Testament. Now, as I reviewed the message this morning, I actually did some subtracting. But throughout the pages of the New Testament, we see that this is a very important command. This is a very important imperative. I want you to notice three verses to, uh, to help uh, set this in your hearts and minds. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, Set your minds. There's the imperative. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now think about this with me. If, if you set your minds on the things of heaven, if you set your minds on the eternal things, on eternal realities, can you not see how that will lead to what we're calling this morning heart renovation? That is to say, if you have an eternal perspective... If you have the big picture in mind, that is one part of the puzzle piece that leads to heart renovation. Additionally, in John 13, 34, the Bible says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so Jesus says, so also you are to love one another. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Whoever says he abides in him, that is, whoever abides in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Look with me again at Philippians 2, verse 5. Having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so we see that this call to heart renovation is not merely isolated to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Rather, this call to heart renovation is seen throughout the pages of Scripture. Third, I want you to see that the path to heart renovation was actually first articulated within the fabric of this particular section of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2. Now, of course, we're not doing a study through the book of Philippians like we normally do in our book studies. And so we don't have the luxury of seeing the context. But notice with me, just in brief, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you'll begin to put the pieces together here. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. By the way, that's the same word that emerges in verse 5. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is the crucial context of the imperative for heart renovation that emerges in Philippians 2.5. Now, Paul calls the Philippian believers to be a people of unity. He calls them to make a series of commitments, most notably to be a, a part of the team, to be committed to the team. He calls them to commit themselves to selflessness. Have you noticed in our culture that being a person who is selfless is becoming rarer and rarer and rarer? It's always look out for number one. It's always take care of yourself. It's take care of your needs instead of doing what Paul rallies the troops to do. That is the first century church in Philippi to be an encouraging people to be a people of unity, to be a people of selflessness, and finally, to be a people committed to humility. Now, with these building blocks in place, Paul sketches out a map. A few years ago, I was talking to a guy in a bicycle shop. I love to go to bicycle shops, right? Pick your favorite hobby. It's a sewing shop, it's Michael's, it's Joanne's, it's a a, a boating shop, it's a skiing shop. I love biking shops. And so I walk into this biking shop and got involved in a conversation with the owner of the shop. And he was telling me about this this ride that he recently went on. And it was a 106-mile ride. Anyone want to go? I was excited. I said, my word, I would love to go on that ride. I have no idea how to start and to finish. Well, you know what he did? He was a really smart guy. He said, oh, that's easy, Dave. Let me give you the map. And so he proceeded to hand me the map to show me the journey in eastern Oregon where I would start at one point and after several hours reach the end goal of 106 miles. I believe that deep within the heart of believers, there is a desire for heart renovation. They just don't know how to get there. Many believers want to have this transformed heart, but they're battling fear, they're battling anxiety, they're battling uh, unresolved anger, and they don't know how to get there. Here's what Paul does. He says, let me give you the map. Let me give you the map to show you how to get there. And that's essentially what takes place in verses 5 to 8. He tells us that the path to heart renovation is found, listen now, in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. So move with me from the path to heart renovation now to our second heading, that is the pattern of Christ. And what we will see in verses 5 through 8 is a series of, of very important theological realities that will help us to to set the path to what we're referring to as heart renovation. First of all, look with me at Christ's identity. In beginning in verse 6, 
Paul continues, who, though he was in the form of God, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I want you to see here that Paul says clearly that Jesus Christ is eternal. Once again in verse 6, although he existed in the form of God. Now, we've labored to make this point. If you're a guest with us, I should tell you that we have been walking through a, a study of the Gospel of John. I, I have lost track. I think we're up to s- s- the 72nd message in the Gospel of John. That's, that's a lot of preaching. I'm getting tired. But one of the things that we've seen in the Gospel of John over and over again is that Jesus Christ is eternal. We saw it actually in the very first message in John chapter 1, verse 1. You remember it well. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In John 1, 14, the Word became flesh, John says, and dwelt among us. Did you know that that's a Christmas verse? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 15 and 16, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, namely Jesus, all things were created on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through Him, that is Jesus, and for Him, that is Jesus. I like to turn to the creeds because the creeds give us a strong foothold. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Turn later in church history to the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Baptist Catechism from 1689. But one thing that helps me is to turn my attention to the Nicene Creed that says this, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, only begotten, begotten of the Father, that is, of the very essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being in one substance with the Father. And so you see, as we look at the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're trying to find this angle for heart renovation, we begin by seeing that Jesus Christ is eternal. Look also at verse 6 where we see that Christ is fully God. Paul says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus Christ refused to cling to his divine rights. He refused to cling to his divine rights. Now notice again in verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. I want to give you a quick word, and some of you will write it down, some of you will forget it. But it's the word kenosis, a very important Greek word. That's the word that is translated as emptied. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And what I want you to remember here at this point is, once again, that here the Word of God teaches explicitly that Jesus refused to cling to his divine rights. 
And while we find that Christ is fully eternal and fully God, we find him now descending as he becomes a man. As he comes to pay the penalty for sinners. And it's what theologians refer to as the humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ. The Westminster, or rather Luther's small catechism written in the 16th century says this of the humiliation of Christ. By the way, Luther had a way of, even though he was a very intelligent man, he had a way of just bringing the cookies a little bit lower. You like that? They're just a little bit lower so we can understand theology, so we can grasp what the Bible is saying. Here's what he says. Christ's state of humiliation consisted in this, that according to his human nature, Christ did not always fully use the divine attributes communicated to his human nature. Close quote. So I want you for a moment to look with me at the five crucial aspects of the humiliation of Christ. And the first I've already made reference to. It's found over in verse 7. This is the word kenosis, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's the first aspect of humiliation, that Christ emptied himself. The word kenosis means literally to empty. It means to lay aside equality with or the form of God. And the reason I want to focus here for a moment on this particular point of theology this morning is this, is that some are arguing that the Lord Jesus Christ gave up his divine attributes. They're saying that Jesus Christ gives up his divine attributes Based on verse 7, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Let me just say that nothing could be further from the truth. That if the Lord Jesus Christ rids himself of divine attributes as he makes his way to the cross, he would be utterly unqualified to pay for your sins and mine on Calvary's tree. Rather, Jesus set aside His divinity, choosing instead to live, or rather, I should say, the scriptures never tell us that Jesus gave up his divine attributes. When Christ empties himself, here's what happens. This indicates a change of role or status, not his attributes or deity. That is, Jesus accepts his new role as a servant. He accepts his new role as a servant. And that is the second aspect of his humiliation. I want you to see that Christ takes the form of a servant. The Greek word is doulos. As I was talking with a good friend a few days ago, I was, we were reminiscing about the past and the future of Christ Fellowship and how in the future, wouldn't it be great if all of the members of Christ Fellowship viewed themselves as a doulos, a servant, How many of you would like to be considered a slave? Well, this is what it means to follow in the path of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ took the form of a servant. He took the form of a slave. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Think about that. That the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, comes, he is born in Bethlehem, 
There is no room for him in the inn. He takes on the form of a servant. He comes, as Matthew 20 says, to give his life as a ransom for many. It gets more interesting in verse 8. In verse 8, we see that Christ humbles himself. That word means to bring low. It means to have a modest opinion about oneself. It means to be devoid of all haughtiness. That is exactly what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. As he is born fully human, he is the God-man. He humbles himself. Verse 8 also tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient He was obedient. Look with me at verse 8. And being found in human form. And that should strike you as amazing this morning. That Jesus Christ was found in human form. Look what he does. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. I want you to remember on Christmas Day that the Lord Jesus Christ has from all eternity obeyed the Father. That the Lord Jesus Christ on December 25th, 2016, stands submissive to the Father. And for all eternity, into eternity future, the Lord Jesus Christ submits to the Father. He is fully equal with the Father. He shares all the attributes with the Father. There is no difference when it comes to their their status. But Jesus Christ will always be submissive to the will of God the Father. Finally, I want you to see, as verse 8 tells us, that the Lord Jesus Christ dies on a cross, that he is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The ultimate expression of Jesus' obedience to the Father now is demonstrated as he hangs on the cross. And I hope as we celebrate Christmas today, not only as a church family, but as families throughout the day, that you will not remain only fixated on the wood in the manger, but you would, you would transport your mind from the manger wood to the cross wood. Because that is the reason that Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus becomes a man. He takes on human flesh. And the purpose behind the virgin birth and the incarnation is this. Matthew reveals in Matthew chapter 1 that he came to save his people from their sins. And of course, the scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ now was raised from the dead. Romans 6, 4 says that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you hear heart renovation in that verse? That just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too would have hearts that are renovated. That we too would have hearts that are brimming in worship. For the living God, that we too would not only worship the living God on a vertical level, but on a horizontal level, that we would love one another, that we would care for one another. And if I could share the stories about how this has happened over the last several months at Christ Fellowship, it would blow your mind. You know, Dreen and I have been a part of three churches now over the last 25 years. And oftentimes you will hear, in fact, I've heard this in each of the churches that we've served in, that, oh, we're not a very loving church. You've ever heard that one? 
And one of the things I think that people talk that way is this, is the acts of love that take place, this is the way I put it over the years, that never makes the bulletin, right? What makes the bulletin? The potluck. The potluck makes the bulletin or the, the, the youth group activity or the small group event or the large group event or the trip or the retreat. Those are all the things that make the bulletin. The sermon title is always in the bulletin. But the things that typically don't make the bulletin are those, those random acts of what I call horizontal love that take place in a hospital room, that take place in a living room that take place on a sidewalk, that take place when, when a small gift is given to a loved one, that take pla- takes place when, when time is extended, when a listening ear is extended. Those are the things that happen spontaneously. And I need to tell you at Christ Fellowship, it happens over and over and over and over. So here's a huge challenge. If you have ever caught yourself saying, yeah, we're not a very loving church, this is what I want to challenge you with. Are you loving people? Because if you are loving people, you will begin to see not only that we are a part of a very loving church family, you will also see that love reciprocated. And of course, we don't love in order to be loved in return. That would be the very opposite of what a loving relationship is about. But you will see you will see that the love flows to and fro and back and forth as needs are being met at Christ Fellowship. It's a wonderful thing, and I'm excited to see that spirit of love continue as we move into 2017. Now, we have a tendency, I think you would agree, to see the Lord Jesus Christ in our culture in a very unbalanced way. We either become focused on His glory and His majesty... And forget that he became a man and was subjected to this sinful world. Or we do the opposite. We focus on his humanity. And when we focus on his humanity, we neglect his majesty. And the truth is, you know by now that Jesus Christ is both. He's fully God and he is fully man. He entered a state, as Paul states here, of humiliation as he empties himself, as he takes the form of a servant, as he humbles himself, as he obeys the will of the Father, and ultimately, as he dies for the sins of everyone who would ever believe on Calvary's cross. And so we come full circle. We come full circle and we come to the truth point, which states the path to heart renovation is found in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. One theologian recently said, spiritual formation in Christ is the process of leading to that ideal end. And its result is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and the neighbor as oneself. The human self then is fully integrated under God. So we close this morning. I want to state very clearly that God is looking for people. He is on the lookout for people who are ready and willing to have hearts that are renovated. And as I was studying for this passage, the thought struck me that in light of this imperative for our hearts to be renovated, we as Americans in particular, we tend to renovate all the wrong things. And you know what I'm talking about exactly is we we renovate our cars 
We renovate our bicycles. We renovate our boats. We renovate our motorcycles. We renovate our homes. We even work hard, and I must admit I'm standing with some of you on this one. We work hard to renovate our golf swings. I've been working on that my whole life. Nothing seems to work. Hook, slice, water, sand, nothing works. We work hard to renovate our our basketball shot or our, our baseball swing. We work hard to renovate all these things and all these techniques. But heart renovation takes place when we follow the map. When we look at Philippians chapter 2, when we follow the pattern of Christ, what does it look like? Our hearts are renovated when we give up our rights. Our hearts are renovated when we make a commitment to serving others. Our hearts are renovated when we commit to humbling ourselves. And our hearts are renovated when we submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives, just as Jesus has from all eternity submitted to the will of God the Father. Some of you, I think, Pat, you saw this the other day. I posted a a very interesting poem that surfaced a few days ago on the Internet. And the poem reads... It was in the garden that the lie began. You shall be a God, though you are a man. In Adam and Eve, we find a rotten root. They went astray when they ate the fruit. And like the father of lies, they sought the throne, wanting not God's, but their glory shone. To a divine race, they sought to give birth. Their will to be done on earth, or heaven rather, as it is on earth. So the children of men continue this boast. In the plains of Shinar, they gather a host, a tower they build to establish their name, shouting to heaven of their power and their fame. Through long ages, the same note would ring from the mouths of emperors, princes, and kings. We are gods, they said, with their lavish display, in their monuments of gold with feet of clay. Philosophers claimed again and again, That we all have the spark buried within. Our reason can leave us without any doubt. There's no need to turn within to without. Monks of the East alter this quest. In the path of the Buddha, they promise us rest. Striving and seeking will keep you afar. For why strive to be gods when you already are? Nietzsche proclaimed that God is dead. But the epitaph hardly filled him with dread. We fools have thought it within our might to rise to the heights and ascend to the light. That man should be God is always our plan, but never that God would become a man. Every Christmas day, the lie is exposed. We are far weaker than we ever supposed. Hear, oh hear now the depths of our plight that only our maker could make it right. Emmanuel, God with us. As we close this morning, I want to ask, what is it that is preventing heart renovation in your life? Are you here this morning and you're crippled with fear? God wants to replace that fear with faith. Are you here this morning crippled with guilt? God wants to replace that guilt with a strong belief and forgiveness that is yours in Christ. Are you here this morning burdened by anxiety? 
God is calling you to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. You see, God is calling each of us on Christmas Day and each day of our Christian lives to a heart renovation that can only be accomplished in the gospel. This heart renovation cannot be accomplished by doing the right things. It cannot only not even be accomplished by believing the right things. Heart renovation occurs as we embrace the gospel. As we bank all our hope and future on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to live like Jesus? You want to follow follow the path of Jesus? Does your heart need renovating? Once again, the path to heart renovation is found in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became flesh and he dwelt among us. He, as Steve said earlier, is the ultimate gift. And his earthly journey began, consider this, in a wooden manger and reached a crescendo on a wooden cross. Do you need a new heart altogether this morning? Has the weight of, of sin brought you to the point of despair? The God of the universe is the only one who can give you a new heart. The promise of the new covenant is this. And I want you to hear these words from Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is to say, heart renovation only comes through Jesus Christ alone. May each of us on this Christmas day know and experience the joy and the peace and the thrill of a renovated heart, which can occur right now as you bank all your hope and future on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, on this Christmas day, we thank you for the hope of a renovated heart. God, I pray for for any this morning who have have never surrendered to Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would cry out, Oh God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and grant me this new heart that you promise in your word. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I I turn from my sins now and trust in him, recognizing that he is the only one who can satisfy the needs of my heart. Thank you for making me a new person. Thank you for forgiving all of my sins. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. For the rest of us, God, who have been walking with Christ, some of us for months or even many, many years, I pray that the the promise of this new heart would be found and made a reality in each of our lives for the rest of our lives, that the promise of the new covenant would be a daily reality that we would recognize that it is only in Christ alone that our hearts are transformed. It is only in Christ alone that our hearts are renovated. God, forgive us for trying to do it on our own. Even those of us who have been walking with Jesus for many years, how easy it is to revert back to the law, how easy it is to try to do it on our own. And so we recognize that we are given the promise of a renovated heart that is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we rest in this reality as we celebrate the birth of Jesus on this Christmas day. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.